0: Well, the last half hour we heard from Karim Musali uh, about the loss of his uncle, Hasham Rahman. Rahman. He was one of the more than 70 killed in the Grenfell Tower fire in London, England, uh, a little more than five years ago. Now, I don't know if you remember the images of that. night. I remember distinctly the first time I saw those images just because of how different looking that fire was, how it had caught, how it rose, how it went up the building. And you couldn't imagine how that could happen. You couldn't imagine that it was burning the way it was burning. And this, again, is what is London's richest borough, uh, not the richest part of London's richest borough, but it is London's richest borough, and it was part of it. And there were so many questions around the world after, but what had happened? Well, how could that possibly have happened? Um, and certainly here in this country, there were a lot of questions amongst those in the building industry, architects and so forth, about what lessons needed to be learned. I think it was quickly established that the sort of cladding used on that building, is not used on tall buildings in this country, so a repeat of that was not likely. Uh, but it was certainly a wake-up call, not only in England and in Britain, but here too, because there's lots of older buildings in this country that are of similar vintage to Grenfell towers—concrete buildings built in the 60s, the 70s—and uh, those buildings are obviously in need of retrofits now. Uh, they're, they're energy inefficient, uh, so lots of people out there trying to do this work. Uh, But five years later, if we look back now, have we learned the lessons here that we were supposed to learn or wanted to learn following that tragedy in England? Joining me now is Graham Stewart. He's a principal at ERA Architects and founding director of the Center for Urban Growth and Renewal. He's also a specialist in the renewal of apartment towers. Graham Stewart, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks for having me. It's been five years uh, since the Grenfell Tower uh, that horrific tragedy in London. I, I remember back in the, at the time you spoke of lessons that needed to be learned here, even though that kind of cladding uh, wasn't uh, wasn't something that we saw a lot of, not in tall buildings in this country. Uh, but what were those lessons, and 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 have we learned them?
1: A really good question. I mean, the the Grenfell tragedy is one of the most you know significant failures of of public responsibility and other things you could imagine. You know, like as an architect and as someone who's Responsible for people's uh, safety and the design of places, you don't think these things would happen anymore. So it was a wake up call for the industry, you know, 360. And I think that, you know, very uh, alarming, you know, what, what was found in the different inquiries and that type of thing. But I think as a, as a, as a professional and as, a, as an architectural practitioner, it really shows that the onus is not just on blindly following codes or, or what have you, it's actually using your own professional judgment around, does this make sense? Is this the right thing to be doing and to bring those dialogues, you know, to clients, to engineering partners, to the city, etc.? So our, our firm specializes, among other things, in existing buildings and a lot of work in existing apartment towers. Um, and since since the Grenfell tragedy, we've we've been engaged in many retrofits. And um, some of the lessons that we've really taken directly from it, um, uh, one project just recently completed in Hamilton uh, we're, we're quite proud of. It's a, a passive house retrofit of an 18-story tower. And it's sort of the first of its kind in North America in terms of this level of, of uh, performance. And it's uh, a near net zero building. Um, and in the specification of those products and in looking at the design of that, uh, we worked really closely with the owner to say we need to look at fire safety and we need to look at um, resident health and, and resident comfort. Leave the building in a better condition than we found it. And what was remarkable is that in that in that case, as well as with other projects we've worked on, uh, sprinklers in the building was not required by code. And because of the age of the building, you could grandfather in those clauses and say, you know, it's 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 fine at the time it was built. That was that was the code. And and surprisingly, the the fire, the fire code doesn't require it either. Um, so in those projects, including um the Ken Sobel Tower in Hamilton, we were able to make the case to the owner to sprinkler the building, you know, and there's a there's a significant cost to doing that, but it's the right thing to do. And thankfully the owners agreed. Another this, piece is a yeah. right- oh,
0: <laughs> no, go ahead, go ahead, Greg. Well, obviously
1: the, the, the other piece is around the cladding. So obviously it was like really top of mind uh, for, for everyone after Grenfell. And uh, so so the team and, and again, you know, working hand in hand with the client um, went with a product that, that, you know, was more expensive than alternatives, but had, in our opinion, zero fire risk. Um, so in this case, we went with a, uh, what's called a mineral wool, external insulation is completely inert. There's no flammability risk um, and also a product that has the benefit of being a, a lower carbon Product in terms of its embedded carbon. Uh, Often we don't think of this, but when you make insulation products, uh, and especially the the type that you know, heaven forbid, are flammable, they're actually made of petroleum products. You know, so in a sense, you're making a green building that's low energy, but you're using highly carbon intensive products to do it. So the two come hand in hand to make hopefully better performing buildings.
0: As an architect and someone who knows this, this industry, I mean, I think one of the things that was the most surprising about what happened at Grenfell, the most tragic was not only uh, did the building catch fire in a way that we really had never seen before. I mean, we'd seen it a few, there'd been a few red flags, previous, previous fires in Britain and elsewhere where this was a problem. Uh, But this was entirely at the time, at least there was nothing illegal about what had been put on that building.
1: I think there's, Two thoughts to that. One is that, you know, there there, there's, there certainly would be a scenario where there's just a blind spot. Like, is it a new thing and the best people with their best professional, you know, due diligence, um, uh, could not have anticipated it, and I and I have to admit I'm not going to make any conjecture about what happened at Grenfell and haven't you know read with sure. a fine tooth comb the the outcomes, but it did seem as though there were some uh, shades of gray in terms of of people's uh, from you know building inspectors professionals downwards. There was some problematic scenario that allowed a um, uh, certain things to happen, and I think thankfully that um, we're in a situation in Canada where. You know, knock on wood. Don't foresee something like that happening due to the product, just the products that are allowed to be specified. Um, but there's also, I think, just a change in mentality. Um, there are, for, you know, for instance, um, future codes will likely make it so that there's zero uh, flammability within assemblies. You know, there are still certain small percentages, you know, to, uh, that you know may be rec- allowed if they're at fire stop, etc. Um, and and firms like ours are just beginning to not to not specify those at all, like just for the sake of, um, you know, public, public risk and public safety and, and, um, et cetera, just to say, we're not going to specify those products. And likely soon they, you know, the codes will say the same thing. Um, then also seeing it from clients, you know, clients are, are looking at projects and saying, how do I make sure that doesn't happen in my building? You know, thing, thing one with any project is the safety of the people using it. Another thing that that happened that's interesting that's adjacent is COVID and the idea, a lot of our projects were, you know, under construction or in, in design as, as COVID rolled out and this sort of adjacent thing around ventilation, you know, so it's suddenly... You know, no one, ventilation seemed like a boring secondary thing that, you know, is a tax on a project after COVID, you know, it's like, do we have clean access to fresh air in each suite to make sure that people are safe, you know, and, and the retrofits we do, you know, ensure that there's, that there's, you know, fresh, uh, clean, hygienic, fresh air delivery, which um, was just best practice and then became really about COVID mitigation. And, and so I think people's general um, literacy and general expectation that uh, you really have to be thinking and fight for high quality, healthy buildings. And what we think a high quality, healthy building is, is um, we're raising the bar, you know, uh, in terms of what, what good looks like.
0: Because there are certainly uh, many buildings in this country of the same vintage and construction as Grenfell tower.
1: Well, the, well, the nice thing, the good news is mm-hmm. that um, most of the, you know, we have thousands of buildings like, uh, like the one uh, in Grenfell. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the challenge with Grenfell was the way they engaged their retrofit and that they mm-hmm. used flammable products in doing so. The bones of the buildings of the the older 1960s towers, which really formed the backbone of our rental housing stock across the country, mm-hmm. probably everyone has a friend, relative, grandmother, whatever who lived in one of these buildings. Um, they're they're very well built in terms of the bones and structure. We've done lots of retrofits. There's never been an issue with like the core concrete slab or, or anything else, um, and the um, uh, really the, they're made of uh concrete block and, and brick and, you know, plaster or drywall on the inside. And so the, the, the bones of the buildings as they are now, there's really nothing flammable in them in that sense. So it's, it's the idea of how do you engage in a retrofit that makes sure you're not making it worse, you're making it better.
0: Right. And I just, I guess a lot of these buildings do need to be retrofitted though. I mean, I, they, there are new products out there that allow them to be, uh, as you put, um, you know, more energy efficient, and that's obviously a big deal when it comes to uh, mitigating Uh, climate change and carbon emissions and so on. So there's a lot of this work to be done out there. And I guess what we're learning is that things such as fire safety and air circulation, every uh, tragedy brings about it lessons on how to do this better in this country. I think that the biggest biggest thing that's uh being
1: such a young country we don't have a huge older building stock and so we're really in the first generation of really retrofitting our buildings and now we have um the 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 core mandate both of climate change and climate resilience and also you know the covid wake up call of ensuring you know health and, and comfort these seem like basic things but it's the idea of how do we make our building stock meet you know our 21st century needs and because because we're a young country, and the idea of, of recycling rather than tearing down and building new, where everything's new and shiny, um, that we don't actually have a retrofit code. So a lot mm-hmm. of, um, it, and it's, it, things are starting to change because you're starting to see cities like Vancouver, like um, you know Toronto, and elsewhere saying we we have we need to see decarbonization plans and we need the building stock to be better, but there's no retrofit code. Um, and so what that means is a lot of what people do to existing buildings is up to professional judgment, and that's uh, that's what's so critical. And I think that's what Grenfell was such a wake up call for, for a practitioner like myself and and my colleagues is that it's it's so uh, it's not paint by numbers. You have to be able to make really critical judgments. And we sort of say this when we give talks, but you can you can design a retrofit or a green building that's not great to live in. You know, it has low carbon, but is it you know what's it like inside? Um, and so when we approach our projects it's always comfort first you know how do we increase the comfort um make sure that people are warm in the winter um uh not overheating in the summer getting rid of mold risk getting rid of damp providing clean fresh air and if we're able to do that and make it a you know a near net zero building well that's a bonus and um um so grenfell really was i think a wake-up call 360 for the industry that had been you know not to be um Uh, hyperbolic about it, but a bit paid by numbers. And you can't be like that when you're dealing with these dynamic places.
0: I'm surprised we don't. I mean, obviously, we're not in a position anymore to start getting rid of this rental stock because it's such in demand that we need to find ways to make sure these buildings can be left standing, but simply updated and improved, one would think.
1: Well, I think that's also, we're just, we're at the cusp of that. And there's, there's a lot happening. BC housing is doing a lot of really great leadership on, on these retrofits. Um, Some of the work we've done in Ontario and it's, it's happening cross country and, um, and even really ambitious retrofits like the one we did in Hamilton is still less than half the cost of tearing down and building new, you know? So it's, it's the idea that let's work with what we have. These are people's homes. Let's keep them going for another 50, 100 years. And, um, uh, the, just sort of that idea that uh, that North American idea that you know uh, only build new and shiny and you know everything's eventually redundant. We just uh, uh, we've matured past that point. how do we How do we take the stock we have uh, and make it work for the people who
0: live there and make it resilient for the future and make it safe? Graham Stewart, thank you so much. Thank you.